Episode number 169 of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Ninefold. Ninefold is a high-performance platform for deploying and hosting Ruby on Rails applications. Ninefold now offers a free tier. Here's how it works. $50 is waived every month from your invoice for all apps deployed. This gives each customer a 1.5 gigabyte server in the U.S. region for free. The platform is built on Ninefold's own infrastructure with servers in the U.S. and Asia-Pacific. Ninefold owns the entire stack from the hardware up. They provide measurably better performance compared to the competition and more economical scaling. Ninefold makes it extremely easy to deploy your Rails app straight from your Git repository. You can use either the online wizard or the command line interface. Ninefold offers great features straight out of the box, including great customer support, zero downtime deployment, SSL, Redis, Memcache, load balancers, and firewalls. Visit ninefold.com to deploy your Rails app today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast recorded from the Ruby Barn on Main Street here in Suffield, Connecticut. This is your host, Sean Devine, and I'm barely known on Twitter. Uh, today, we continue the uh, Rails Rumble series that we're, uh, I've been enjoying quite a bit, and I'm very pleased to be joined by last year's winners, the 2013 winners, the team or two members from uh, the team that made Caller Key, uh, Imran and Shah. Hey, guys. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Sean. How's it going? No, it's, it's going great. So, but before we get into Caller Key and Rails Rumble, why don't you uh, introduce yourselves? Uh, sure. Imran, go ahead first. Sure. Uh, my name is uh, Imran Raja. I'm a software developer out here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, and I've been using Rails for about five years now. So you're from Ann Ar- How long have you lived in Ann Arbor for? Well, actually, I used to live in New York City, and I moved out to Michigan about two years ago. Okay, I lived in uh, I lived in Ann Arbor from 2007 until 2010, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, and then New York City too. So we've we've lived in the same place. <laughs> uh, cool. And Shaw. Hey, uh, my name is Shaw. I'm actually from New York City as well. Uh, but currently, I live in Austin, Texas, and I've been uh, I'm a software developer uh, out here in New York City. All right. So, how did you guys meet each other? <laughs> We've known each other since freshman year of high school. Oh wow! <laughs> since it was since it was real awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty uh, much first day of class. So was that was that in New York City? Yeah, in Brooklyn. Oh, cool. Well, uh, what uh, what neighborhood in Brooklyn? Uh, it was Ford Green. The name of the high school was Brooklyn Tech High School. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I lived in um, I lived in Brooklyn Heights, which is not, not too far, right? not too far away from there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and actually, just it's funny. I had just had someone um, over to the house for dinner last week that lived in Fort Greene and went to Brooklyn Tech. Uh, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a small world. Yeah, right. So you met in uh, freshman year. Were you friends back then? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, uh, we've uh, we've uh, known each other for more th- for more than half our lives. So uh, we're pretty much huh. Now, were you both programming then, or were you uh, were you at the time you know jocks on the football team, and then since converted to programming? <laughs> and uh, I think we had uh, well, our school had majors, and uh, we we're both comp sci majors as well. Um, we met in actually a biology class, but uh, since our junior year in high school. 
uh, we had a bunch of comp sci classes together. Cool. So since then, do you have you stayed in touch and and worked on anything together, or did you use the Rails Rumble as an opportunity to to collaborate? Uh, well, we, we've stayed in touch for sure. I mean, or Facebook, AIM, uh, you know, hung out, whatever. And uh, we've you know attempted on working on projects and stuff. So we figured you know Rails Rumble would be a good you know uh, avenue for us to work on something together. Well, most of the people that have come on say that there are a few keys to success in the Rails Rumble, and I'm looking forward to hearing your take on that. But one of them is either either the first or second um, key that people mention is is to know your team and know strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, it seems interesting to, to have um, a team made up of guys that go back so, so far because, you know, at the very least, everyone knows what everyone else can do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, so... Uh, so we've basically known each other for close to 15 years. And also our third teammate is actually Shaw's younger brother, who is really good at uh, graphical design. So they were able to collaborate really well on that. Um, and each of us uh, had something that we were particularly good at. Um, and we, we basically just played on each other's strengths. Yes. Yeah, so, so let's talk about that a bit. So, so first, why don't you give the the most simple overview of of what your entry was and, and what it does, and, and and maybe a little glimpse into why it it won. And then after that, I want to talk about the composition of your team and you know what from that experience you think makes sense in terms of of uh, the skills that one needs to have on the team in order to be successful. But first, let's talk about caller key. Yeah, let Imran handle that because it was mostly his ideas. So, sure. Um, well, basically, I just approached Sharia uh, and asked him if he wanted to join the Rails Rumble with me. It was kind of a last-minute pump thing that I thought we could do. Uh, and then the idea I came up with was uh, using Twilio's voicemail um, transcription as a starting point to analyze uh, voicemails. So our basic idea was to make an application where you were, you would call up this phone number, leave a voicemail, and then we would basically transcribe and analyze the voicemail. So you can find out the number of repeated words on the voicemail. Um, and then the thing that Sharia came up with was also doing a sentiment uh, was also doing a sentiment uh, 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 analysis on the on the whole voicemail, and it would basically report back whether the person was happy or whether they were upset um, with your with whatever voicemail they were leaving. And that 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 was that's the basic um, idea of of caller key. Okay, so let me repeat back to make sure I got it right. So. Basically, you have voicemails, and, and those were um, voicemails from anywhere, or voicemails that were left on on the caller key system. It was a voicemail that you had to call into, and the phone number was provided by Twilio. Oh, so I you would call this phone number and leave a voicemail. Gotcha. Okay, so then you used the Twilio service to record and transcribe, and then you used something else to do the sentiment analysis and and yeah, provide yeah. feedback on that. Okay. Um, and did the, 
did your entry um, do all of that or was it just some portion? I, I well actually, so um, I want to uh, go back onto the Twilio transcription thing. So we, we originally used Twilio to transcribe it, but it wasn't as accurate. So we actually went around about way of doing the transcription. We used, um, I believe, uh, Google's uh, voice translator or I mean transcriber uh, to transcribe it. It was much more accurate. Um, and yeah, it pretty much did all that. It showed you know, where the calls were coming from, analysis, uh, if there are customers or not, because uh, you, we actually, you could actually create a customer and uh, put their phone numbers. You could actually track the customers to see like how many times they called and things like that. So I've used um, I've used both the Google translation or not translation the uh, voice to text uh, yeah, transcription text. and uh, and Twilio's and yeah I had the same experience. Do you know if Twilio's has gotten better now? Or? I hope so. I haven't tested it since then, but I hope it did. Yeah, we haven't really looked into that. We actually uh, switched over to using AT and T's transcription service um, okay. because I think. Google Voice was not really meant to be used uh, for business. Like large scales. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it has like time limits that are pretty short, and you have to split yeah, up the audio and stitch it back together, and that seems a bit yeah, That's exactly what we ended up doing. Yeah. I, uh, if it was a hackathon, might as well hack something up. <laughs> I agree. If it, was all, if it was all professional and perfectly tested and bulletproof, then what the hell fun is that? Exactly. <laughs> so... Uh, so okay, so you still use Twilio though for the the actual um, you know calling system and call recording, or did you switch that too? Yeah, we yeah we're still using Twilio to to provide phone numbers and voicemail recording. Okay, so why um why do you think you won? You know what was it about the service that um, really uh, caught people's attention? Um, I would say it was a combination of things. I think a large part, a large part of it, was because of the UI design by uh, Sharia's brother, um, and also I think we both came. Um, we both have been working on Rails for quite a while, and I know Sharia had some uh, business analytics. Background and I also had also recently done um, uh, charting using business analytics, business analytics as well. And basically, we combined all that together, and we were able to put together a MVP that we thought would be pretty cool and also useful as well. Like it's something that I think businesses can be like it's actually something that i think they could use um and i think that's one of the reasons why we want do you think that it was in in the form that it, it the application was in when you won do you think it was useful just in a proof of concept sort of way or was it actually useful like someone could actually use this and and it would work into a workflow in a reasonable way and not that I think that there's a right answer on that. I think either one could be perfectly reasonable as the strategy. Well, let me answer that. I think uh, we actually had a pretty solid um, MVP. I, I mean, we worked uh, really, basically, we, we didn't get any sleep at all. So all three of us, we worked pretty hard on it. Um, really? No, so, no sleep? Not even 
like five hours? A couple hours, maybe, at most. Uh, oh, I think, uh, yeah, Imran's wife was uh, the most patient woman at the time, so I got to give her props for that. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, were you guys all in the same place? or, or? No, nah, me and my brother were in the same place, but Imran was in Michigan, so we kind of like were in Google Hangout the whole time. Yeah, cool. Yeah. But yeah, I think I feel like it was a uh, it was useful um, right out the gate. Like after the MVP, because you could do a lot, a lot of the functionalities that you needed. Obviously, it wasn't something we would release commercially because there's still a lot of features, and it would honestly work. Basically, there was no login system or anything like that. Really, it was just more like you know you you go in. I mean, there was a very basic login, and you uh, you just create your customers and uh, you start checking who called you and the you know all the analysis and stuff like that. Run some reports. And it seems like for the Rumble that. I think you hit on some smart things there. It, it's sort of a blend of factors that ends up mattering. It has to be visually interesting. I, I don't think that an application's done all that great if it didn't look pretty good. It has to be novel in some sort of way. It has to, you know, if it's about usefulness, it has to at least prove that it could be useful. Um, but but doesn't necessarily have to be like a fully fully baked commercial offering, or or, or you know, it, it it can be short of that. At least that's my yeah. that's my take. Yeah, that's a really good point. And the other thing was that we intentionally uh, left out certain features as well. Like at the time for the Rails Rumble, we really did not need user signups or the or a feature that would allow that would allow somebody to create a company or a user. All that's kind of secondary and not really important when it comes to. Building something that would be considered a, that would be considered a MVP for for a hackathon. Right. It's basically just building the features that will impress something. So, so the most common um, the most common key to victory that people cite that I've talked to that have placed well in previous rumbles is planning. So, I, I'd say you know three out of five people say that's the number one most important thing to doing well. Um, is that your experience? Was planning a key to your success and and uh, if so or if not tell me about how you approach planning before the event well uh, planning was actually it's definitely one of the most important factors um, I feel like planning and having a product that's not too buggy it's good uh, I mean it's uh, it's a key um, yeah we definitely planned it out like I said it was kind of a last minute thing I think just a couple of days before Rails Rumble we decided to work on it but we kind of planned out like you know what features were each of us going to take on, you know, my brother, he's going to the UI and the front end stuff. I was going to work on the sentiment analysis and some of that data stuff, whereas uh, Imran was going to work on more of the transcription, things like that. And we kind of divided up the tasks pretty well. And uh, obviously, we had all the tools, uh, you know, that we needed, uh, like project management. And like I said, we used Google Hangout, which was very helpful for us, too, because we were all chatting the whole time and, you know, making sure, like, everybody was up to task. So, yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. I think that that's the way we planned it. It's just basically we divided up the tasks and uh, we kind of like followed back like after every hour or two to make sure everything was going smooth. I and mean, that sounds like a little bit less planning than some other people do. I, th- I think a common approach that I've heard is is to create a bunch of user stories um, before yeah, the we didn't, Yeah, we didn't do user stories. We didn't really do uh, test. We didn't write tests or anything like that. We just wanted to get straight down to uh, business, I guess, uh, business logic. And me and Imran, we've we've had quite a bit of experience with uh, software development. So we kind of like 
knew what we each other was thinking. So I guess it wasn't as much planned as something else. But again, we only had two days, so we wanted to. And we actually got it started late because I think uh, we thought it was going to start at the Eastern time zone. It was actually UTC, so it was not five <laughs> hours late. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so we needed to get ahead. Uh, That's funny. So were there four of you or, or just three of you? Uh, three of us. Three. All right. Um. And the, the way that you divided up the work was, uh, I think you just said it. So, um, the two of you worked on the programming and then you had your brother that worked on the front end. Exactly. He did the UI and then he did the performance programming, like the, the, the static version. Okay. So, so tell me about that. Um, did he like, uh, how did you interface with him in terms of the front end? Did he just provide you a bunch of mockups and you had to code it or did he actually build the templates? Um, well, you see, yeah, I, I, mean, I have a lot of experience working with my brother. We've worked on main projects together, so we kind of like know how each other works. So um, that helped a lot. He came up with the concept, and we kind of like when we liked it, you know, we changed a few things around. And then uh, he does uh, some like basic HTML and JavaScript and things like that. And then Imran handled a lot of the UI stuff after he did the very basic static version. So we just sent, uh, we uploaded like the the HTML version, like which is like the the CSS and the images sliced up and things like that. Right. Did you have experience with the uh, Twilio API in advance? So that that was actually something that I had to learn a few uh, a few days uh, before the Rumble. Uh, it was not something I had used before, but I had just gone through their online tutorial, and that only took about one hour to go through, and that was really all I really needed to know um, was how to record a voicemail and how to transcribe it. And that was really easy to f- figure out uh, using their documentation. Yeah, so you only had... So for for people that know Twilio, you only had a single endpoint that um, you needed to implement then, right? Yeah, exactly. It was basically just um, two controller actions that I really had to work on for the Twilio integration. Once to receive the one to um one to handle the actual phone call and one to receive the transcription. Gotcha. So is that so it, they have like a you provide like a callback URL that it that when it's yeah. done transcribing it hits is is that how it works? Yeah yeah that's exactly how it worked. Uh we just use their um, their web interface, and we basically tell it to uh, to hit those controller actions once it was finished processing. Yeah, yeah. I've done a decent amount with Twilio. I think it's a, a great service for this sort of thing, notwithstanding the transcription weakness. But the yeah. the rest of it is it's pretty darn easy to use. It's definitely great. I mean, I've I've used a little bit of Twilio before the Rumble. I mean, for a separate project. It is pretty easy to pick up. Uh, they have pretty good examples, um, and they're really good uh, team support team. If you have any questions, they have support on IRC, so it was pretty good. Cool. So tell me about how you did the sentiment analysis. Um, actually, so instead of hand rolling my own, which you know is a project on its own and it's something that's an ongoing research, we end up using um, a couple of different APIs. Uh, one was we used um, Alchemy API which uh, does uh, a sentiment analysis. And then we used, uh, I believe, I forgot, it was uh, some other library that did like a very basic. So what, we did, what I did was I wanted to kind of like average it out 
uh, get a couple of different uh, results and uh, average that out and give like a final sentiment analysis. Because sometimes you get like a 0.5 or, or 0.6, whatever for one, which kind of means neutral. And then the, uh, the other uh, API or library would give it like a one, a one, which is like very positive. So you would average it out and see that that's an actual positive thing. Whereas sometimes you know something would be negative and something would be neutral. So that would you know we decide like how neutral is it. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how does he? I've never used Alchemy before. Yeah. Is it is it entirely about uh, natural language processing, or do they do other things too? Uh, sorry, I, I, you kind of cut off there. Oh, sorry. So is Alchemy um, all about natural uh, language processing, or do they provide other sort of on-demand big oh. data analytics? Um, Alchemy, their main thing is natural language processing. Uh, so they're, they do a lot of things like sentiment analysis. Um, they do, like, I guess, content, uh, kind of like c- categorizing uh, articles. Um, yeah, they have a couple of different uh, services. Uh, I guess, I'm not sure, like, if they've branched into, like, some other data-related stuff, but as far as I know, their main thing is actually just natural language. Great. And what was the other one you mentioned besides Alchemy? Did you say that there was a second? Excuse me, sorry. Did you say that there was a second service that you used uh, in addition to Alchemy? Uh, yeah, it wasn't a service. It was um, somebody wrote a very basic, uh, not, uh, like a sentiment analysis program uh, using Python. Uh, so, and he had a. It wasn't. It was a kind of an open source thing that I ended up using. It. I thought it was pretty uh, good because I tested a bunch of different. Um, bunch of different uh, sentences and it gave me pretty good results so I ended up using that I forgot what, what it was because this was a while back but this was just for the rumble let's take a quick break and thank our next sponsor smart things smart things is the easiest way to create a smart home smart things lets you control and automate your home using your smartphone from anywhere with smart things you can secure your home for a fraction of the cost of a traditional security system Stay connected to your family by getting notifications when people come and go. Control and automate your lights and small appliances from wherever you are. Get notified if there's unexpected entry or movement in your home, and get instant alerts to prevent a small leak from causing a major flood. The really powerful thing about SmartThings is that it's an open platform. That means that it's compatible with hundreds of devices, and there are thousands of things that you can do with the product. To discover them, simply download the free SmartThings iOS or Android app. Start by picking up one of the three Smart Home Security Kits, which are designed to help you protect and monitor your home, or one of the four Solution Kits, which help you achieve specific goals like automating lights, saving energy, or protecting your home from leaks. In addition to SmartThings sensors and outlets, you can add hundreds of other home automation devices from companies like GE, Honeywell, or Aeon, and even devices like the Nest Thermostat, Dropcam, Philips Hue, Wemo, or Sonos. You just add those to the SmartThings app. To get started creating your smart home, visit smartthings.com slash 5x5. You can save 10% off the original purchase price of any home security or solution kit by entering the code 5x5 at checkout. For uh, the Ruby on Rails podcast listeners, solution kits start at just $170 and home security kits start at $350. You'll also get free shipping within the U.S. That's smartthings.com slash 5x5. Remember to enter the code 5x5 at checkout. 
And uh, thanks again to SmartThings for supporting 5x5 and the Ruby on Rails podcast. So um, tell me about the the victory. Did you expect that you would place high? Did you care if you placed high? Um, I'll let Imran handle that. <laughs> so it was not really something that we were expecting. Um, and I remember I was at work and then... Uh, Shari had texted me saying to check the results of who won, and I thought he was just kidding. Um, but I remember I was uh, sitting in a meeting with a bunch of people, and I just checked it on my phone, and I saw that we had placed first. Now I was pretty shocked, but it was uh, it was pretty happy. <laughs> now what? So um, you got a, a championship belt of some sort, right? Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, Hotbot had provided a championship belt. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about that. It, do you still have it? What does it look like? Uh, it looks like a a it looks like a a actual uh, heavyweight championship belt. Uh, I do have it. It's sitting right next to me in my cl- in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just found um, a picture of it online from 2010. Do, does it still have like a big? Um, brass-looking like belt plate with a eagle and then a RR logo on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does it. Um, yeah, it does. And I was actually kind of surprised as to how heavy it uh, has, as to how heavy it is. It's a real. Yeah, it looks like it's made of leather with I don't know piping along the edge and then these metal plates bolted to the front. Is that right? Yeah, I I, I think that it's. Produced by an actual um, an actual company that makes these <laughs> heavyweight belts, so it's, it's, it's a real deal. It's yeah. pretty funny. Do you remember what the other uh, prizes were? Were there many? Yeah, there were actually plenty of prizes. Um, the, the, we had like Amazon uh, gift card, Apple gift card. Um, we got free GitHub uh, like private accounts, which is pretty cool. Which I actually used the most. Um, and there's like maybe a, a dozen others, like there's like credits for like sticker meal, there's credits for uh, Sprintly, I believe, and there's tons of them. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. Uh, did any anything else happen that was fun because of the victory? Opportunities present themselves that, that maybe you didn't expect? Well, for me, for me, I mean, I think it, it looks good if I put on a resume, maybe. I'm not sure, if, but... Uh, <laughs> It might. I think, I think it does. It wouldn't hurt. Yeah. That's for sure. It doesn't hurt. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, we did meet. We did meet a lot of cool people. Like I actually run a New York City Rails uh, meetup group, uh, so a lot of people knew about it from there as well. So I, for me, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty good experience, and I I think it, it got me and Imran working uh, pretty well together. And the best part was the fact that it's only a weekend, so we got to actually like instead of BSing around, we got down and just like started doing work which was good at least from my experience that's my takeaway how about you Imran anything come of it that that's been surprising um well I, I did kind of enjoy uh being featured on Twilio's blog and um just the general uh just the uh the general feeling that we put in a lot of work and we're able to get um we were able to get some actual 
results out of it. Um, so, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, like, you know how they say um, that uh, any publicity you get is good. So I'm, I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah, right. Any, I mean, any is good, and this was good publicity, so that's even better. So what did you do with the project after... Um, after that weekend, I, mean, I googled it, and it appears to live on, right? Yeah. Um, so after the rumble ended, I I didn't really sense any other interest in continuing the project the project from anyone else. So I started working on it uh, by myself. So I basically took it from a state where it was just good enough to win a hackathon, and I turn it into an actual product where users can come and sign up and actually uh, receive a receive their receive their own phone number uh, and I added a few more features such as also a, also the ability to analyze emails as well mm-hmm. as uh, voicemails so that it, and this is an up and running business now yeah, yeah, it's actually up right now at uh, callrookie.com. Cool. So I just went. So what's uh, uh, talk to me about that experience? What's it been like to convert from a, a hackathon project into a, a business that you're running? So it was it was pretty fun. Um, I really thought of it as a personal challenge because I think. A lot of software developers have a tendency to start working on something, and then a few weeks later, you know, we lose focus and start working on something else. And then, you know, um, so I thought of it as a personal challenge to make sure that it actually launched. So it was. Um, so basically, we took. Uh, so basically, I had to do a lot of ref. Hacturing as well, because during the hackathon, we weren't really concerned with writing code quality. Yeah, exactly. We were not concerned about code quality at all. So, I basically took the opportunity to uh, to clean up the code a lot. Um, at the time, I was reading um, Sandy Petz's uh, object-oriented book, and I basically rewrote everything using uh, newer uh, coding standards along the way. So I was learning something as well as attempting to build a actual business as well. And then when did you launch it as a a real sort of open to the public product? Um, I launched it back in May. Uh, It took a few months. because I was basically working on it um, after work uh, whenever I had uh, free time. So it's been about, so it's been a few months uh, since it's been up. So I won't ask too many details, but I mean, are you at the point where you have um, like a, a paying customer for it? Uh, I do have a few paying customers. But it's not picking up too quick. Um, I'm currently in the process of uh, pivoting the application to attract uh, other types of uh, 
businesses. Right. Well, hey, I think that there's a there's a big difference between one paying customer and zero and two and one. I think getting getting from two and beyond seems to be a promotion challenge as much as anything else, as long as there's a market for it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm finding as well. Um, so how do you, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. So, um, how would one find out about caller key right now? And just talk to me about the experience of, of trying to figure that out, you know, how, how to figure out how to go from a product that's interesting to the market actually knowing about it enough that they're going to read the details and possibly sign up. Sure. It's, um, it, so it was pretty challenging because, we did not uh, build this application based on an actual customer's needs. It was basically a project that came out of a hackathon. So we didn't have any customers in mind while we were actually building it. So the challenge was to how can I change this around so it's actually useful uh, for a business. So I basically had to reach out to small business owners and ask them questions like and I basically had to ask them how they're cur- how they're currently gathering customer feedback um or uh if that's something that they even care about um uh you know would it be helpful if we could also integrate email as well and then based on the responses I got, um, it's how I decided what features I wanted to add next. And that's currently a uh, ongoing process that I'm doing right now as well. So I basically, um, so I, I basically following a, a very lean learning process um, as I go along with this project. Well, I think it's I think it's cool. I just took a look at the preview before we uh, had this call, and um, it's a nice product. And you know, I hope uh, I hope if it's if it's what you want to go and and have this become a product, I hope you're successful with it. Cool. Thank you. So, what about after this? Is there another um, is there another hackathon or Rails Rumble in your future um, with this team or with another team, or do you think you're gonna you're gonna retire on a high note? Well, uh, I would love to do this year's hackathon, but I'm expecting a third kid about two weeks before, so I'm going to have to sit this one out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations. That's exciting. Thank you. How about you, Sha? Uh, Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. Again, um, I want to work with uh, Imran on another hackathon, on another Rails Rumble if we had the time, but... His kid is coming, so I'm hoping you know the kids. It might be a couple of weeks late, so we can work on it. But I'll put aside. Uh, yeah, obviously there's priorities, so uh, I might work on something with my brother if I have some time. But um, yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah. So do you have a, do you have an idea that you think is good for this year's? Um, not really. I mean, honestly, I feel like uh, if you plan to ahead. Uh, it you look at it differently, uh, but if you plan something a couple of days before, it, it, it's a different thing. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. For me, well, it's like if I come up with an idea just a couple of days ahead, it might be better. I feel like I've participated in a couple, and I never, um, 
never did the plan way in advance thing. I think, you know, in each case we figured out what we were going to do sometime between two and zero days before the start of it. Um, yes, same here. I've been to a couple of hackathons and uh, same thing. I've, I've actually won a couple of the hackathons as well and it was the same thing. We, I, didn't, I had nothing planned just like the day before or the day uh, came up with something and luckily it worked. Although talking to people on this show has taught me that maybe we're not the most common approach. Because it seems yeah, like it's not. pretty common to plan in advance and to to you know list out a couple dozen ideas and to you know maybe three or four weeks in advance and then to drill down through picking one over over the previous few weeks. Yeah, a lot of people do that. They come really planned, but from my experience, it's just like winging it kind of works because if you plan something way too early, like I said, you look at it in a different point of view. So. Doing the hackathon, you don't want to build MVP. You, you you're in the mindset of building out the whole product, and like and feature creep is like death of any project. So we just want to get the main thing working. So that's that's my take. Well, um, I heard one piece of advice that I thought was pretty smart on that point, which was that if you decide a few weeks before what project you're going to do, and then yeah. take those three weeks to just cut features instead of adding, but you know you figure you'll start with something that's too big. Not intentionally, yeah. but just because that's how things work, and then yeah. you know continue to shave off the the unnecessary bits until by the time it starts, you've reached like a very refined, minimal feature set that's a version of the first idea. I think that that was pretty good advice. Yeah, I think so. Too. But it, it takes some discipline, which you know, and and at least for me, the Rails Rumble and other hackathons are sort of a. A fun weekend, and if it becomes a job for the previous three weeks, it's not really the yeah, same. Yeah, exactly. This is just honestly, uh, I love hackathons because it allows me to work on something that I probably would not work on. It allows me to learn something new. Every hackathon, I try to come up, you know, use a different library, use a different method, or something I've not used before. And honestly, uh, with Rails, I, I think it's the best for hackathons because it allows you to build applications very quick. Do you use Rails um, in your day to day work life? Uh, and the other day, yeah, I used mostly Rails and uh, Node.js. Hmm. So let me, I, I want to learn more about that, but let me tell you about our uh, one of our sponsors today, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Do you guys know about CodeShip? Uh, yes. Okay, well, <laughs> let me tell you more about CodeShip. Sure. So CodeShip is a frequent sponsor of the Ruby on Rails podcast, and I'm uh, very happy that they came back uh, this week again to support the show. CodeShip's a free continuous delivery service that's really simple to use. They offer 100 builds per month for five private projects for free. And the whole uh, product has a, a focus on usability. It's super easy to use. You can set up your continuous integration process with CodeShip in a few easy steps, and your software will automatically deploy when all your tests have passed. CodeShip has great support for multiple languages and test frameworks. You can easily integrate with GitHub or Bitbucket for code hosting and then deploy to cloud services uh, like Heroku or, or uh, Ninefold or uh, AWS or wherever your code is or uh, directly to your own servers. You can start out with CodeShip's free plan. Setup only takes about three minutes. You can find CodeShip on uh, on the web at codeship.io slash 5x5ruby. And if you use that offer code, again, that's 5x5ruby, you'll get 20% off any plan for three months. Um, they blog at blog.codeship.io, where you can find out more about sort of what they think about uh, various things related to continuous delivery and how they run their company. It's a pretty good source for 
interesting info. Uh, anyhow, uh, I use CodeShip. I enjoy CodeShip, and I appreciate them supporting the show. So check them out at codeship.io slash 5x5ruby. All right. So uh, Rails and Node.js. Um, do, is that, do you work on some projects that are one and some the other, or are you using sort of a split Rails in the back end, um, uh, job in the front end? Depending on the project and depending on the need. Like I always say, um, if you want to build applications quickly, use Rails. If you want to build quick applications, use Node.js. So that's one thing. So if I need something where it needs like support stuff like that, I would use Node.js or like some simple API. Or if I need to build an actual card application uh, with with the customer facing front end and things like that, I would use Rails for that. I had um, I had Josh Owens on recently, who uh, uh, I think has gotten some notoriety for his support of Meteor. Um, okay. Have you guys used Meteor at all? I've looked at it. Uh, I'm not sure where I'm on. No, not really. Yeah, so it's a Node.js in the back end, JavaScript in the front end, kind of integrated back end front end framework that um, instead of it's different than something like say Ember where you know Ember would need to be backed by something on the server side Rails or something else it's like a a whole solution for both the server and the client and it didn't really it didn't really sound too great to me Um, but he's a smart guy and he liked it a lot so I figured maybe you guys it had a lot of promises I mean I looked at it before it was on like beta version or whatever before it was actually released I which it looked very promising, but I think kind of like fizzled out. So, yeah. So uh, on on that point, so what are you interested in now? So like, what what are the new developments in the Rails or or JavaScript world for that matter that has you you know particularly fired up this year? Uh, me personally, I think Rails. I mean, it, it's matured a lot. Um, I went to RailsConf last year and uh, there were a lot of interesting talks and stuff like that. Um, I'm excited to, I guess, for Rails to continue maturing and, uh, you know, adding a lot more support. Um, me, personally, I've been working a lot more with uh, Python lately, because uh, I'm trying to get more into uh, machine learning and data analysis and things of that nature, so I feel Python is pretty good for that. So, as in your writing, the services that do the, the data analysis and machine learning, or are you are you interfacing with with APIs that provide access to that service? Uh, currently, I'm working on writing my own stuff. I About a couple weekends ago, me and a friend, uh, we got together, and we actually started writing our own small sentiment analysis engine. So, things like that. How's that gone? It went pretty well. I mean, we it was a very basic... I mean, with the... You need a large data set, so we we just had a very small data set, but it, was, it allows us to kind of like fine-tune things and like learn as we build it. How about you, Imran? Uh, lately, I've been getting a lot more into front-end JavaScript frameworks. Uh, I've been using uh, AngularJS a lot, and actually, this was actually inspired by a few of the Rails Rumble entries that I saw last year. Um, I was really impressed by a few of the entries that used uh, uh, Angular and Ember, and Ever since then, that kind of that kind of uh, inspired me to want to learn to pick up uh, um, front end frameworks. So I've been doing a lot of JavaScript in the past few months, 
and I'm actually re and I'm actually uh, re writing call and key to use Angular right now. Hmm. So it's it's something that I'm currently learning and working on. So I'm not too smart about Angular. Could you um, give me a brief education in why Angular instead of Ember and for someone that's a um, an experienced Rails programmer and, and has some JavaScript skills, obviously. Like, what does Angular provide that would be... What would be the big aha moment of, like, wow, that is super great um, that Angular can do that maybe uh, a, a vanilla Rails stack wouldn't do? Uh, sure. So, um, I actually looked at both Angular and Ember as well. And I personally just found Angular... A little bit easier to understand and use. Um, I don't really come from a very strong uh, JavaScript background, so that could be why. But I found that Angular was a lot easier for me to. It was a lot easier for. It was a lot easier for me to pick up, and it also has a few really cool features as well. Like one thing is that you can create your own custom. HTML5 elements um, using Angular, and I don't think you can do that with Ember. Um, so there's a lot of really cool, neat features that um, that Angular provides that I don't think if the other frameworks do. So give me an example of the kind of feature that if if one's used to this sort of standard Rails stack. And then they got introduced to, to Angular. Like, what's the sort of feature that would be easy to do with Angular that is either a, a pain to do or or tricky to do um, without Angular? So, if you have a page that that requires you to uh, that requires you to manipulate um, DOM elements based on uh, user interaction and based on uh, based on communication between the browser and a server. In the past, I would just use uh, jQuery to handle all that, but that can get really messy really quickly um, because there's like tons of jQuery callbacks and it's not very organized as well and oh yeah that's also one thing that I really like about Angular um, it it takes care of uh, organizing your JavaScript really well um, whereas in the past uh, um, in the past few projects I've worked on it's been purely jQuery and it can get really uh, messy really quickly. It's really hard to understand. And the level of abstraction and organization that Angular provides is really good. That's interesting. So I, I haven't used Angular, and I, I, ha I haven't used Ember either, but I've, I've sort of done the tutorial, and I have a basic idea of how it works. And the criticism I've heard of Angular... Again, this isn't my opinion, this is just what I've read, is that it's not as sort of opinionated about organization as as Ember and some others are. So it's interesting to hear you say that that's the strength of it. And maybe maybe it's just that it's so much better than 
a spaghetti soup of uh, jQuery that even if it's not as organized as Ember, it's still great. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that is uh, true. One of the things I had to learn was basically how to organize uh, the file structure as well. I mean, um, you know, there are front-end tools that you can use uh, alongside Angular that will take care of uh, the organizing for you. I think one of them is called Yeoman, Y-E-O-M-A-N. Um, and using that tool, it can basically take care of uh, setting up your Angular code. But that's not something that I used um, in Rails. It's um, Usually when I use Angular in Rails, I basically take care of uh, creating the folders myself, which I don't think is terribly difficult to do. So what's your guys' take on, on what Rails' sort of philosophy should be about integrating um, client-side capabilities? Do you think that the current approach is right and it's fine to just then you know sort of mix and match Rails with, with other things in the front end to get these features? Or do you think Rails should have more of an opinion about providing um, some of the benefits or maybe all or more of the benefits that uh, you've seen from Angular? Uh, me personally, I think uh, Rails. I mean, it's all right the way it is right now. Obviously, there could be some easy integration. I would say sometimes it's kind of hard, especially if if, if you're a beginner. I, I would say it might be difficult to understand how a front-end client framework like Angular or Ember would work with Rails. But once you pick it up, it's not too bad. Um, I, I personally, I, I just usually just write. If I use something like Angular, I write a just an API, and then I. I uh, make calls to it all, and I sort of keep the applications uh, in the background. So, does Angular require a persistent connection to the app? No, it does not. No. No. Yeah. That's not. That's good. I mean, I think that the functionality that comes from that is super, but it it can be it can be a bit of a pain, also. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not completely easy to to set up Angular in Rails. Um, I know there's quite a few people who who use the Rails API gem, which is basically just a trip-down version of Rails, and they just use that uh, that just purely for uh, purely for creating a, a purely for creating a API and they just uh, throw the front end frameworks on top of that gem. Um, so, um, what about the next year? Are, are there are there things that new things you guys want to learn in the next uh, the next twelve months, or is it sort of more of the same for the foreseeable future? Um, um, so for the foreseeable future, I'm, I really want to get, uh, good at JavaScript. That's one thing I've been working on the past few weeks and months. Um, I'm also excited to see what things people come up with for this year's Rails Rumble. Um, one of the things I enjoyed is basically going through all of the 
entries and seeing the new seeing the new gems and technology that people used and which is which is what I did last year too and I found it to be really useful to just to be exposed to all these things that I would not have seen otherwise you know on that point so I I had Tom and Nick that run the rumble on and <clears throat> I um I've been trying to convince them to add a new category this year, which is best open source um, mm. entry, because I think that the community would be way better off if imagine if of the like seven hundred entries, imagine if three hundred of them were open source, and you could not just see sort of the output of what people did, but actually how they were doing it. I think it'd be a great opportunity to to learn to say, oh, you know, what's what are the new techniques that people are using if there's a a gem that they're using that's new to you or an API that they're using that you're unfamiliar with, it'd be great to see how they implemented it, I think. Well, yeah, that's a really great idea. I mean, I, I think that a lot of a lot of people would be kind of uh, afraid of showing off the code that they wrote during a hackathon, but I personally... Yeah, that's, that's what I, I would think too. But I think, it, I mean, if it was its own category where, where it... it uh, you know, it's sort of like an, the individual entry is hard because, you know, one person has to do everything from project planning to design to the, the front end to the back end to the DevOps. You know, so you're never going to produce something or you're usually not going to produce something as, as great as, say, you guys did in a weekend. But it's like a, a it's an accomplishment of a different sort. And I think that the open source would be the same. It'd be kind of a, I think it's it's it takes some guts to put your work out there from a weekend. And I'd like it. Absolutely. I mean, one thing is that, like, in hackathons, uh, you don't exactly follow best practices. So if somebody was trying to learn off, you know, they would actually be more confused and they would start off on the wrong foot, I think. But, yeah, actually, I do think there should be some sort of open source category. might be something that's a little bit longer rather than the weekend. Uh, it's a completely different category. Best open source gem or project, whatever, in, in a week span or something like that where, you know, people have a little bit more time to follow a lot, a lot more of the better practices, if that makes sense. I think the next one that I enter, I'm not sure when that will be, but the next hackathon I do, like the Rails Rumble, I'm going to open source it just just because, just because it's fun, <laughs> just to see what other people uh, Yeah, definitely. Do with it. I mean, it's good to contribute back to the community because Rails is an open source uh, project, which we benefit greatly from. So Yeah, and there aren't, even though Rails and all of the libraries that we use are open source, there are relatively few open source Rails projects. Yeah, that is true. And, and the ones that exist, I think, aren't great examples. Like people would mention Discourse as an example of a big, good open yeah. source Rails project. But I actually don't really agree. I don't think, I think Discourse is fine, but I don't think that it's, I don't think it's that similar to what most people would build with Rails. Um, so, you know, I, I actually don't think it's a great learning yeah, opportunity I, for other people. I, exactly. I looked at Discourse and what happens is that with the Rails project, there aren't that many open source Rails projects. And even though Rails isn't all about uh, convention over configuration, uh, there's still a lot of people have way like this. So many different ways of doing the same thing. Um, so uh, for a beginner, I would say uh, the hardest thing would be to actually kind of figure out like what, what's a good practice. And, and, and it's a subjective thing, but there's also some objectives to it, like where you know you don't want to do something that is on, but this open source project that would use that. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And something like, the reason I don't like discourse for a beginner is that it doesn't follow the convention all over the place. So yeah. it, it's blazing its own trail in, in in lots of areas that I think is good for the Rails community and that it's helped 
put some focus on performance and memory management and other things that matter, but those are not the things that someone that's new to rails needs to be worrying about. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's not even clear to me that, I mean, I think it's great that discourse cares about those, but I mean, I, th I think that a, uh, a community, um, bulletin board, uh, it, it's even questionable that it needs to care as much as it does in my mind. But anyhow, all right, well, we're, uh, we're about an hour in, so I think we should, uh, should wrap up. I appreciate the time that, that you guys spent with me today uh, talking about your project. Anything that each, each of you would like to uh, promote? Imran, um, go ahead. Uh, sure. I mean, uh, you can check out uh, callwiki.com, uh, or you can also check out my blog as well. Uh, it's uh, imranraja.com. And uh, for me, I've been working on a new startup. It's a marketplace to find uh, fitness trainers. We're launching pretty soon. It's called Kuju, and the website is kuju.io. Kuju.io. .io. We'll be cool. launched pretty soon. So. Now, do you have a baby on the way, too? Seems like that's the theme <laughs> on your team. Uh, no, not yet. Hopefully, not soon. <laughs> All right. Well, Imran, good luck with uh, baby number three. Thank you. And uh, for both of you, good luck with your... Uh, your ventures, both Kuju.io and CollarKey. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was great to be on. And for those that, that want to connect with uh, me on Twitter, I'm barely known. Thanks.